This Sunday and last, we've been treated to parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. For those of us whose sense of justice accords with that of the little red hen, last week's parable about forgiveness goes down very well, with the wicked, unforgiving slave hoisted by his own petard and having the wages of his sin visited upon him. Which seems great until we recognize in that wicked slave ourselves. And suddenly, justice seems much less desirable than it once did. Jesus' parables have a tendency to draw us in, cheering for the righteous and condemning the evildoers, until it dawns on us that we often have more in common with the villains than we'd care to admit. And Jesus tells his parables in a way that that self-awareness dawns on us as Ernest Hemingway described going bankrupt, first gradually, then suddenly. It's a bit of a relief then to read today's parable, which, seems, uh, which doesn't seem to have an obvious villain. It's not so much unjust as it is unfair. For all the laborers get their wages, but it's the same wage for different amounts of work. And just as we're ready for Jesus to tell us how the workers at the end jumped the landowner, seized his vineyard, and divided it among themselves according to seniority or productivity or a guaranteed base rate plus incentive bonuses, Jesus instead ends the parable with the owner saying, Take what belongs to you and go. The last will be first, and the first will be last. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like? Like the parable of the prodigal son. It doesn't sit well with those of us who figure that we've been working hard, following the rules, and deserve from God reward for our hard work on his behalf, and a better reward than the sinners and layabouts we see around us. The thing is that none of us, whatever our exertions, deserve the grace that God gives us in the forgiveness of our sins. If we consider the parable in that light, what's unjust, if not unfair, about it is that everyone gets paid the same for different amounts of work. It's not that everyone gets paid the same for different amounts of work, but that anyone gets paid at all. For like the unmerciful slave in last week's parable, we owe God a debt that we cannot repay. God doesn't owe us anything. In the parable, Jesus is making the point that the economy of the kingdom of heaven does not work the way that we might expect from the vineyards, payrolls, and kingdoms of earth. It's counterintuitive. It's based on the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that none of us can repay our debt to God, and that God's forgiveness and salvation is available to all of us, despite our inability to earn it. And so while today's parable may upset our sense of fairness, 
The parable is uplifting because it assures us that God's grace extends even to sinners and hypocrites like us, who, eager to accuse others, end up condemning ourselves. It extends to us who are often slow to forgive, late comers to forgive, who are it extends to us who are often slow to forgive, latecomers, forgiveness and mercy. Thank God for his unfairness, for in holy baptism, God adopts us latecomers into his family along with everyone else. And day by day, he offers us grace upon grace, sufficient for each day, like manna in the wilderness. We deserve God's grace, like Israel deserved manna and quails for complaining to God after having been delivered from slavery in Egypt, which is to say, not at all. In Romans 6 verse 1, the Apostle Paul asks, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Answering his own question, he responds, By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In Philippians 1, 27 and 28, in today's epistle lesson, Paul says, Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. We strive to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, not to earn our salvation, but confident that Christ has earned it for us, and joyful and generous because of that. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we live here on earth knowing that God has given us a fortune worth much more than the 10,000 talents that the owner forgave the unforgiving slave in last week's parable. God has given us the forgiveness of our sins, release from guilt, and everlasting life with him. Our way of life, then, is to reflect the rich inheritance that we have received from God, despite our undeserving. Our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, by God's grace, enables us to stand firm in faith when opposed, to respond graciously when insulted, to speak the truth in love amid confusion and lies, to pray for our persecutors, to forgive those who sin against us, and to work for the benefit of those who will come after us, despite their having arrived later to the vineyard than we did. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel, uh, gospel of Christ is going to come with suffering. Paul tells the Philippians in verses 29 and 30 that God has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. The word privilege in that passage is a little bit of a gloss added by the NRSV translators to convey the sense that faith in Christ and suffering for Christ are both gifts of God. A more literal rendering, rendering of Paul's Greek in verse 29 would be, For it has been granted to you 
that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. With Christ comes not only the gift of faith, but also suffering for him. You can't opt in to faith in Christ and opt out of suffering for him. They're both part of being in Christ. And if we distance ourselves from either, we are distancing ourselves from Christ. We don't know for sure what Paul was referring to in verse 30 and saying that the Philippians he and he were struggling. But instead of letting that struggle discourage him, Paul encourages the Philippians by reminding them that suffering for Christ is part and parcel of being in Christ. Now he doesn't say that we should seek out suffering or that suffering for suffering's sake is redemptive or that all suffering is for the sake of Christ. But when our faith in Christ requires us to suffer for him, we are to bear it with a sense of noblesse oblige, that is, as a privilege, as an honor, conscious that with great wealth comes great responsibility. That new perspective that faith in Christ gives us really is a blessing and a privilege. When suffering comes, faith in Christ gives us options other than complaining. Faith in Christ gives us the courage to cherish our lives even when we feel like we've been abandoned in the wilderness. And it allows us to face death without fear. Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, For to me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. Faith in Christ is a privilege that brings hope to seemingly hopeless situations and that trusts God to produce from suffering endurance, from endurance character and from character hope. Faith in Christ enables us to commit our work to God even when it doesn't seem to be bearing the fruit for which we had hoped. Faith in Christ is a privilege that enables us to receive each new day of life as a gift from God, like manna in the wilderness, trusting God with our future. Faith in Christ is a privilege that enables us to take a Sabbath rest from our labors, as God instructed the Israelites to do in the wilderness, trusting that he will provide for us. So thanks be to God for providing us this Sabbath day to rest, to worship, to meet together, to receive his gifts of word and sacrament, and to be encouraged by the body of believers. Thanks be to God for the privilege of being baptized into Christ, for his Holy Spirit who keeps us in Christ, and for the privilege of being able to talk about what it means to be in Christ with the faith and the suffering that it entails, both among ourselves and with our neighbors who are not yet part of this body.